All right, good. I'm gonna move this out of the way. I'm gonna give you a little peek behind the curtain, literally. Um, something amazing, and I'm not, I, I'm not advocating for 300 people to do this on a Sunday just so they could hear it because it wouldn't have the same power, but this is the first time I've stood back there. I tweaked my back, so sitting is kind of a pain literally right now, and I was back there for the whole service. Usually when we're up here on stage, it's either like this and you're very quiet, or if you're leading worship, you have things in your ears. So you can't really hear what's going on out there. Wow. Guys, I got choked up back there. It was amazing (laughs) listening to you guys worship. Just belting it out. And uh, I think there's something that, that happens when God's people truly understand the power of their worship. And I think sometimes we, we forget because we just come in on a Sunday and we do it. And, and uh, it's one of those things that we always do. But wow, it, the smile on God's face. And just hearing that. It's also fun back there when you hear Scott sweat a little bit when he's trying to get things together. So that was fun too. Uh, <laughs> Well, welcome to Freshwater. If you're new with us today, I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get to come up here and lead the next two weeks in our messages. Uh, And it's it's a great honor and privilege. And and it's a huge responsibility. Last week, Scott kind of uh, lifted us up as the staff who feeds him things. And and to be honest with you, I, I am impressed. And it's one of the reasons I'm not a senior pastor, because doing this every week is a gift. It's a talent, it's spiritually given, um, and uh, I couldn't do what Scott does. And, and sitting and listening to him try to build us up, there's something really amazing uh, about someone who can come and deliver the word. So this message for me, because <clears throat> I'm one of those guys who stews in things, uh, started months ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, back in the winter, um, during the, that time of Scott and his family mourning the passing of his father, uh, we had some folks who were coming up here and sharing their messages. And, and here's another glimpse behind the curtain. Sometimes we as pastors have one what we call in the tank, <laughs> just in case something like that happens. And so uh, I had the opportunity with Norm and Brian and the three of us sitting through going, hey, who, who, who can go this week? And at that point, I realized that, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be needed. And so I started preparing a message, and, and, and then I wasn't needed, which was, for me, I, I, I was thankful because it takes me a long time to go, what, what, what do I need to teach? And God has been putting this on my heart <clears throat> for a while. It's, it's something that, that started with a conversation with one of our young adults. If you don't take the opportunity to sit with a millennial— and hear their heart and spirituality, you're missing out. We oftentimes just, and, and I laugh with our young adults, we're all exhausted, by the way, because we were at Orville's fireworks last night waiting for the traffic to dissipate. But if you don't sit with our millennials, with any millennial, and go, hey, what do you think about life? You're missing an incredible opportunity. They have some stuff that's just bouncing around in those brains of theirs, that, that amazes me. 
And while I was in, in this time of studying the word, I was in 1 John. I've been there for a while. My wife and I are walking through it together. Um, and John is just, he's one of my favorite all-time characters in the Bible. It's my go-to over years and years of doing ministry, when someone comes to know Jesus, I tell them, listen, please don't start from the beginning of the Bible. You will get wore out. Okay? You're going to get to the ark and go, How? there's Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy? I always point them towards John. And then I say, go to Romans after that. And then once you feel comfortable with this, then maybe we'll start from the beginning. But John is one of these men, one of these folks in our scripture that just says it like it is. And in this conversation with this millennial, it just, it, it organically took place and, and, and I'm in John and, and, and it just came up and he, he asked the question, he goes, can't we just make this thing, this Christianity, simple? And God said in my heart, and it, and it was a process of time and then jumping into preparing the scripture uh, back in the, in the winter for a message where I'm like, you know what, I think he already has. He already has made it simple for us. And it's not cliche, it's, it's not a t-shirt, it's, it's, it's not, you know, uh, these things, you'll hear me say felt bored moments if you grew up in church. It, it's more simple than even that. And so what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks is that Simplicity. And we started it last week. This is another thing about God's timing. You know, if, if, if I'd given the message way back in, in uh, the winter, uh, I, I think that we would have missed this. Scott last week talked about love when he set us up with that word agape. And he talked about the brotherly love and he talked about the familial love uh, between us and, and our actual blood family. But the reality is that that is the simplicity of God's message. That is the simplicity of Jesus' message. It, it is love. And, and that's what John, I think more than anyone else of the writers of Scripture, settled in on. And it's amazing what it did for him. It's amazing where it took him from point A to point B. Our message series over the next two weeks is this idea of John being the son of thunder and also the apostle, the man of love. He is, he is one of those guys who we see the transformation take place to the uttermost. And it, and it comes out of this, this experience with Christ. It comes, it comes out of this, uh, this, this mo these moments of time. And, and when he writes about it, you see him going, these are the things that stuck out to me. And like I said, it, it, it ends up being that, that t-shirt or that cliche, but it is as simple as love God and love others. It is as simple as intimacy with God and intimacy with others. You see, John would have sat there and listened and listened and listened and saw. You know, when, when we see this scripture, and it's, it's out of Matthew 22, and again, we've probably all heard it, 36 through 40, teacher, which is the greatest command of the law, some millennial is sitting in front of Jesus going, hey, can you just focus this down for me? Can you make this as simple as possible? 
And what Jesus does is he takes some old scripture, the Shema and, and some stuff out of Leviticus. The Shema is, is this scripture that the, the Israelites would have hung their hat on, this, this idea of love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so Jesus goes on, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. These two weeks, we're going to take the simplicity of love God and love others and make it something about Paul's life that should also change us. You see, that, that commandment, we could all walk away from, go, oh, I love God because he says I should love him. But I don't believe that's how John loved. I don't think John loved because he was told to. I think by the time John started absorbing some of this stuff and later in his life, he's like, I don't need to be told to love God. It will just happen. Let's pray. Father God, I'm just uh, thankful that you give us the opportunity to dive into your word. Father, I pray that it would strike at our hearts and make us different. Father, I pray that we'd walk out of here changed that we would hear not just the commandment to love you, but, Father, this desire that just wells up out of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who is John? So John, uh, if you're not familiar with John, more than likely John uh, was one of the youngest disciples. So he was one of the 12, if you're not familiar with the 12 disciples, he was one of the 12 that Jesus purposely invited to follow him. As you look through scripture, you're gonna see other places where it talks about Jesus' disciples. But John was one of the 12. Like I said, he was probably one of the youngest and, and, and his brother was James. And when we first meet John... We meet him in the interaction with Jesus where, where he looks at him and goes, you too, okay, because of how they lived their life, you too are the sons of thunder. And you kind of have to wonder, what, what was it about John that, that that came through? You know, and sometimes in our youth, we just go barreling into things, and that might have been part of it. But for John, it, it was just in him and about him. One of the other things we know about John is, is he was more than likely one of the oldest disciples to live. When we look at some of the references in Scripture, when we, when we hear and we take that in context with some of the historic writings that happen outside of Scripture, John was more than likely one of the oldest and lived the longest. We have, a, we have traditions and legends about most of the martyrdoms of, John, of all the other disciples, but for John, the legends and stuff aren't clear on how he died. There is one legend that says he was actually boiled in oil and wasn't hurt at all in his later age. But this John, in his youthful age, when he meets Jesus, he is, he is one of the sons of thunder. He would have grown up a normal Jewish boy in Galilee, he came from a family that was relatively well off. His family had a fishing business. And to have your own business is a big deal. 
We see him when he first meets Jesus that, that he is in this business and Jesus calls him away from that with him and James and Peter and Andrew. We see a boy that was probably pretty entitled because of his lot in life and the fact that he, he came from a family of wealth and influence. He probably came into things with that stature. He probably had a zeal for Scripture. We find out in John chapter 1, verse 35, it doesn't refer to John specifically, but in John's writings, he never refers to himself in the first person. He either refers to him as one of the disciples or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you know what? The first time I read that a couple of times, I, I, I was... I was a little taken aback on, well, that is arrogant. But here's the deal. I, and this is just me softening in my old age. I don't know that that was probably true. I bet he probably would have considered that of all the disciples. And when we look back throughout history and we, we kind of understand where some of the scripture goes and comes from as, as the compiling of his gospel, it may have also been how his followers, because in his later life he becomes the bishop of Ephesus, it may have been some of his followers saying that's how we feel he sees himself because of how much he talks about Jesus' love. But I think he would have referred to all the disciples that way. But going back to John chapter 1 and verse 35, he's referring to James and another disciple, okay? And, and he's speaking about them in, in terms of following John the Baptist. Now, John is another character in Scripture. He's going around, he's proclaiming the coming of the Christ, of the Messiah, of the Savior of the earth. And up until this point, everybody thinks that this Messiah is going to come and conquer everything. He is going to raise up the people of Israel, the, the, the Jewish nation, against all of their oppressors and save the world. And so we find John following the Baptist as one of his, I dare say, one of his disciples. This is where that zeal comes in, that, that passion for truth. And I think as Jesus interprets who he is, goes, wow, you are on fire. It may not always be great, but I bet I could do something with that. In his book, uh, Dr. Daryl Jose says this about John. He is the son of thunder, possessed of a quick and volatile temper, tied to a, an intense ambition and not a little pride. So John is this guy who's like, I am all about whatever I'm in. He's in at 110%. I'm going all guns at it. We see it again later on when he's interacting with Jesus. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, they're going into all these cities, and they're spreading the good news of the coming kingdom of Jesus and the, the Messiah. And they go into a Samaritan city, and Samaritan cities were one of these places that Jews just weren't welcome. They didn't usually go there. Um, and as they're walking in, it says this in Luke 9, 53 through 56, but the people did not receive him. You're going to get a great picture of John here in a second. Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? John is one of those guys who's like, 
that is my boy, Jesus. You don't kick him out of the city or not let him in. And he looks at Jesus and <laughs> you're the sons of thunder going, hey, we'll call down fire. If that's what you want, we will destroy them all. This is John, the son of thunder. This is a man or a boy even at this age, he could have been in his late teens, who really hasn't quite grasped love yet. But it isn't it amazing that Jesus says uh, in his infinite wisdom that I'm going to take something like that and I'm, I, guys, I'm from Creston, so this is going to come off maybe a little crude, but this is the only way I can say it. It, it. It's Jesus going, hey, you don't think I can do that? Hold my beer. Okay? Scott's over there going, oh, why do I let him up there? Jesus can do something incredible, amazing. Even with those that we look at and go, this dude's not getting it. Call fire down. That's not how Jesus rolls here. Guys, that means if someone like that can go where we're going with him here in a sec, what can he do with you? You don't have anything, anything that's unchangeable in your life under the power of Christ. Nothing. And so what do we see now? We see John, the son of thunder. We see him in his youth. He's not known for his love. But then we start to realize who John becomes. We start to look at his writings. John, the gospel. John, the letters, first, second, third. And we see a man who starts to change. We see a man who grows into this more fatherly, more wise place in his life. And I don't, again, I don't believe it was because he was told to do it. I think it was because this. He spent time in the presence of Jesus. Remember, he's the youngest, more than likely the oldest. We see him throughout Scripture in places that no one else is. He witnesses things that really a select group only got to see the transfiguration, the making of Jesus white as snow, the cross. There's no other real rec recording of any other disciple at the cross except for John. In a great scripture where John is there at the cross, we see this moment where Jesus looks down on him and says, John, he looks at his mother, my mother, you are now together. John, she is your mom. Mary, he is your son. And from that point forward, scripture says that she went to live with John. John also goes on, we see a bunch of these other places and these things that, that, that John experienced when he was experiencing that whole love God thing. And, and again, I think that's why he's called the one whom Jesus loved, because he couldn't separate himself from that. But he goes on in 1 John to state it a little bit more clearly. 
It's not just what he was told. It's not just what he witnessed. It's because, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And because of these experiences, because of these things that John was a part of, as long as he was a part of, think of the stories now with the mother of Jesus at his house. Not only did he get the opportunity to be with Jesus in that select group of three, he's now with the mother of Jesus going, hey, tell me what he was like when he was this tall. And remember, Jesus is sin-free. Think of the stories. John records things that no one else records because of this experience. That author I referenced earlier says it this way. We see love in the conversation with Nicodemus, which was the central truth of his life, for God so loved the world. We see love when Jesus stopped to talk to a despised Samaritan woman in spite of the reservations of his disciples. Remember, I talked about the Samaritans. They weren't liked. Jews would go out of their way. They would cross the river, go along the river, and cross back over to avoid being with Samaritans. Jesus, motivated by a spirit of love, he broke with prevailing attitudes and brought life to this entire town. We see love in the way Jesus defended the woman caught in adultery, defying the legal experts of the time in favor of forgiveness and restoration. We see love in the way Jesus cried over the death of Lazarus. We see love demonstrated in tender conversation with and prayer over his disciples before his crucifixion. Now, what I didn't read from that quote was the parentheses. Every one of those scriptures is out of John. John, in his looking back on time and saying, I am going to record the things of Jesus, he recorded the things of love because it changed him. One of those, and, and one of my favorite stories of all time, is out of John chapter 8. And it's the woman caught in adultery. And here's how it goes. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes, the Pharisees, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now. In the law of Moses, it is commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now, I want to stop there. This is one of those times where I just, again, my old life comes forward. I'm just like, these guys are jerks. They're just trying to catch Jesus in something. They're trying to, to, to get him off of his course of, of bringing the kingdom of God. They're trying to destroy his reputation. All of that. And Jesus' response is above anything we can understand. <clears throat> this they said to him as a test that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older one, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. This is one of those stories that could be easily the felt board story. We're like, oh, see what he did to those old guys who thought they were smarter than him? You see how he proved that he could just be as, as honestly, as, as manipulative into the crowd and change things as they were trying to be? But we miss something if we just focus on the people who were present, who were trying to really catch Jesus. What we need to do is realize that John is standing in the crowd. He's watching all of this. And then decades down the road, he's one of the only one, he is the only one who records it in Scripture. And I don't think I'm going so far off in assuming something to think that the thing that caught him was the act of love. You could look at all the things that took place. Yes, Jesus confronted them and he confronted her sin. Yes, he tells her uh, that he doesn't condemn her. This is another great theological moment. Yes, he tells her uh, to sin no more. Yes, he uses this opportunity to smack the religious leaders upside the head. But I don't want us to miss this. The thing that I don't think John missed at all And that was the getting down on his knee, taking his finger, and writing in the dirt. The only time, by the way, that we see Jesus ever write in Scripture. And if that's the case, the act of love was not what he was writing in the dirt. It was the fact that everyone in that crowd was no longer looking at that poor woman who was caught in the act Again, my angry side goes, where the heck was the man? He was just as guilty. But she's in probably disarray, if not buck naked, embarrassed, shamed. And Jesus says, I love you so much that I'm going to take every eye in this crowd off of you and have them look down in the dirt. John saw that. John was changed by that. And then he wrote about it. Yes, John was also making a very important point that we all are sinners. Because that's the point that Jesus, one of the points that Jesus was making. But he still did it in an act of love. These are the things that the Son of Thunder witnessed in his lifetime. You did not need to command John to love Jesus by his simple presence of spending time, in, in presence of Jesus, by spending time, he was transformed completely. You see, for us, that is really at the heart of that, that simple scripture when, God sa- when Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Because I'm going to do something with that. I'm going to change you. And now we could look back and go, well, no, we didn't see Jesus right in the dirt. 
No, we weren't like John present at the cross. But I promise you, you still sit in here without excuse. We are on this side of history. We can be in the presence of Jesus. I was back there listening to you people in the presence of Jesus. He calls us. He promises us that presence. And here, you could walk in a world where you have to be commanded to do it, to love Jesus, to love God. You could walk in that world. I still think because of the grace of God, because of the forgiveness of Jesus, that's fine, but I don't think that you can just walk in the commandment to love our Lord if you spend time with Jesus. It will just happen. It will become second nature. You will be someone who was thunder and become someone who is love. My conversation with that young millennial was, was that. that. That was as simple as I could get it. We're going to go deeper into that next week. But it's as simple as loving God. Being present with Jesus. And then the overflow of that, the outcome of that, the transformation of that is love. Look around you folks. This is a world that needs it desperately. We are in a culture of intolerance and outrage where everybody's got an opinion and no one cares about anybody else's. We're in a culture where, where, where love, it, it, it has been manipulated to mean something completely different than what God, what Jesus intended. If, if we could truly understand the transformation of not being commanded to love, but be, being loved, loving God because we're in his presence, Wow. Look out. It's like saying to Freshwater, hey, I don't think you can love that person out there. I don't think you can love that big. And the whole church going, hold my beer. (laughs) Folks, John, and I encourage you, take some time to get to know John. Even this next week, just jump in and, and read some of the things that he says but I think John is just as normal as any of us. I think John looks a lot like us. Middle class, Wadsworth, Ohio. People who have a lot of thoughts, a lot of opportunities to say truth, a a zeal for that. I bet a lot of us need to be tempered in the presence of Christ to be more a people of love. So that when we see the church, the the t-shirt that says love God, love people, we know how deep that goes. We know what that really means and how transformational it really can be. So next week, we're going to look at what was 
John's next step. He witnessed it. He loved Jesus with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength. What was his outcome? How did that change him even more when he took us to the second half of that scripture? I think when we dig deeper past the felt board, when we dig deeper past the cliche, and we look at the second half of that scripture, our minds are going to be blown. Truly blown. Let me pray for us.